Well, good morning, Life Church. That's a half of you. That's pretty good. Uh, let's try that again. Good morning, Life Church. There you go. Much, much better. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody, for being here uh, this morning on this lovely, uh, lovely, lovely Sunday. Can't wait. So, uh, so my wife and I, many years ago, uh, we, wa- we made our way into, um, I'm not even sure what, what you would call it, but uh, to go for a routine ultrasound. And uh, we had found out that Shelly was pregnant. And uh, we, you know, walk into the room there, and they got the machines there. We had uh, Kelsey and Kayla uh, with us. This is before we had Jason and Catherine. And uh, so we, we walk in there, and, and everything's ready to go for the ultrasound. And a friend of ours was there with us. And so Shelly lays down there, and they get that, that lovely warm, whatever that's jelly, whatever, you know, all that stuff. If you've never done an ultrasound, it's fantastic, right? And uh, <laughs> I recommend it for everybody. And... Um, uh, so we walk into this clinic and go to the room, the nurse enters, machine focused there on the baby, and, and we're, you know, excited, uh, this would be child, this is, you know, child number three for us. And uh, as the nurse is, you know, kind of looking around there, we, we knew, because uh, we had done this already twice, uh, twice before with our other kids, and uh, it became evident pretty quickly that the nurse uh, was kind of withholding information, right? There was more silence there than we were uh, used to in this moment. And uh, I remember her looking over, and, and Shelly and I were talking a little bit about this as, as, as preparing for this, and I think we've told part of this story before, but, uh, but Kelsey and Kayla were in there with a friend of ours, and the nurse turns and says, you know, I think it'd be best if Kelsey and if, you know, if your kids uh, go ahead and leave, and so, so they left the room, and the nurse said, well, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have, I'm going to refer you to the next, uh, I think, level two or whatever the next uh, level ultrasound was, and you know, so here we are trying to figure out, okay, you know, Lord, what's, what's going on here? How do, we, how do we process this? What are we supposed to do? So we go, you know, to the next, uh, next ultrasound and uh, at a children's hospital there in Minnesota. Found out there that our daughter had a condition uh, that was probably unsurvivable. Uh, she had uh, non-immune fetal hydrops along with cystic hygroma, and uh, that's basically just a lot of water uh, in the child, and it's a chromosomal abnormality, and uh, the survival rate is extremely low, and if there is survival after birth, uh, the, de- the defects um, would not allow the child to live very long, uh, and there would be tremendous needs associated with it. And so I remember uh, Shelly and I was, were, was were <laughs> trying to figure this out, right, if you've ever walked through that and, and you have, uh, you're confronted with something that you weren't expected uh, to confront, uh, and even, even the doctor said, well, the best course for you is termination of this pregnancy, and uh, we said, no, <laughs> uh, we're just going to wait this one out and, uh, and see what the Lord does. And so you pray, don't you? And you're just like, okay, okay, God, <laughs> how do we, Lord, we turn to you in this moment, because we really don't have anywhere else uh, to go. We, you don't... Uh, Right? I mean, you can look to medical field and, you know, they don't give any answers in those moments and you're like, okay, God, we're going to pray and we're going to believe and we're going to trust you to do what only you can do. And you start praying for miracles. You start praying for reversals. You, you know, you, you go through and you begin uh, praying for all of those things. You remind God of the things that he has done before. You go to the Word and you open up the Word and, and you talk to God about the things that He did, miracles that were performed uh, by Jesus and the blessing of children, all of those things. And you remind God, you cry out to Him, you wait in silence. 
And at 23 weeks, um, <laughs> sorry, it's so strange, right? When this is 20, 20 years ago, about, and still those those things come up, right? So 23 weeks, uh, Jordan passed, a little uh, less than the size of my hand. And what happened to our prayers? Right? Because, you know, I'm a pastor. My prayers should be answered in prayer. Like God's prayer. Right? I mean, though, you know, I'm a Christian. My prayers should be answered the way that I want them to be answered. Did God not hear my prayer? How many of you ever wondered if God hears your prayers? Uh, come on, be honest. Right? Does God hear our prayers? And then if God hears our prayers and doesn't respond the way that we want him to, does that mean, or we ask the question, does God care? Honesty. Have you ever asked, does God care? Right? I mean, let, let's get real here, folks, about what prayer is, because we're going to be spending the next, like, eight weeks or so talking about prayer and what it means for us. Had God decided beforehand that this child would die in order to serve a purpose that's unknown to us, right? I mean, that that becomes a question for us. Was this part of God's sovereign plan to take the life of this unborn child? Did we not have enough faith? Did we, as Jordan's parents, not have enough faith? Was, was there an unconfessed sin in our life that led to the death of our child? Right? We, we think these things when it comes to prayer. Or let me just put it this way. I think those things when it comes to prayer. But I have a feeling that all of us wrestle with this idea. Um, and in this one, should I even ask God since he makes everything happen one way or another anyway. God's already predetermined the outcome already, so why pray? Right, so, so we, we, we try to understand how prayer works. How many of you have prayer figured out? Anyone? All right, so good, good company, because I don't have it figured out either. Does that sound weird for your pastor to say, I don't have prayer figured out? Because the reality is this, this is something, I think, that as followers of Christ, that we, better, we have to come to grips with, that we pray because it's the right thing to do. But we also know that there's not a formula for prayer. There's not this, this, this idea of like a computer program. When I was a kid, I programmed in BASIC, and they had something called the if-then statements. If this, then X happens, you know. If I do this the right way, then God will always answer me the way that I'm expecting him to answer me. It doesn't work that way. Um, So on the other side of the equation are answered prayers in ways beyond what we expect God to do. I mentioned a few weeks ago now, I I know it's been a few weeks ago, I mentioned uh, little baby Micah, um, who was born, I showed a picture, he was 
a few years ago, back when we were in Illinois, and the mother had a ruptured uterus. I mean, just a, a crazy series of events where the mother's life was in danger, absolutely in danger. Micah's life, absolutely in danger. And a ton of people are praying around the nation uh, in this moment, people that love them. And Micah survived and is thriving. Uh, uh, his mother survived and is thriving. And I think they have two kids now or three kids now. Um, and uh, never expected to have more kids after that, right? And so God did above and beyond what was expected in that moment. So did they have more faith than we did? Right? And there's a jealousy at times that we fight when we pray. God, you answered their prayers, but you didn't answer mine? Really? Do you love that person more than you love me? Right, so I, I hope as I'm talking about this, uh, maybe it makes you a little bit uncomfortable because I do believe this is, these are the things that we walk through, certainly as followers of Christ, as we pray. Is God picking winners and losers? Did they have less sin than we did? Did they have, you know, all of those things, right, just in reverse when it comes to somebody else gets an answer to prayer that I didn't get, that I expected. Uh, we're not going to get into what do I do then when God doesn't answer the way that, that I want him to. That'll be for, a, for a, later, uh, a later time. But I have participated in prayers that have led to miracles. Others have as well. And I was talking to someone uh, earlier and just a, a miracle in a, uh, in I think it was like a niece or a nephew that uh, really God healed very, very quickly of COVID in this particular instance. And uh, just a, really a beautiful story and has been an open door to faith for the entire family, potentially. I'm very excited about what that means, right? So we participate in those prayers, and we rejoice. But I've also participated in prayer that did not end as desired. Others have prayed prayers as well, and we wonder. Wonder. So prayer. Uh, R.C. Sproul is a uh, great uh, theologian. He's since, he's pa passed away a number of years ago, but great theologian, prolific author. And this is what he, uh, what he says about prayer, and I think it's great. He says, simply put, prayer has a vital place in the life of the Christian. One might pray and not be a Christian. How many of you know non-Christians or people that don't know Jesus that pray? When does that prayer happen? It's like when the, when the crisis happens in their life. Like, God, I don't know if you exist, but I'm going to go ahead and pray anyway, <laughs> right? I was actually uh, watching a, uh, um, a uh, documentary uh, the other day, and if you ask my, my wife, I watch lots of documentaries. I enjoy that genre. I just, I really like human life and kind of that reality. That's enough uh, to, to get me excited, right? And uh, so in this documentary, it was, um, I think it's called Last Breath or something like that, and it was a tragedy that was unfolding on the, uh, the seafloor. Um, uh, up in um, uh, the north, uh, what is that, the North Atlantic, you know, something up there. And I'm not going to give it away if you want to watch, it's fantastic. Uh, but this guy who is, I mean, obviously doesn't love Jesus, has no relationship with God. I mean, that's what he says on there. He says, I am not a praying person. But in this moment, what else do you do? He said, so I prayed. Right, it's part of us being humans, right? That if you're not, even if you're not a Christian, those who are watching online right now, you might just be observing and you think that we are crazy <laughs> to believe in God, yet somehow, some way, when it gets down to it, 
to pray, right? So uh, one might pray and not be a Christian, but one cannot be a Christian and not pray. Prayer is absolutely vital to who we are as followers of Christ. Romans 8.15 tells us that the spiritual adoption that has made us sons and daughters of God causes us to cry out in verbal expressions, Abba, Father. Basically, this, it's, a very, it's, it's a great term of intimacy, uh, that Abba uh, phrase. It's kind of like Daddy. It's not quite that, but it's kind of like Daddy, Father. Uh, prayer is to the Christian what breath is to life. The answer is this. Yet no duty of the Christian is so neglected. How many of you want to pray more? Kind of a loaded question, isn't it? Because when have you prayed enough? When would you look at your schedule and go, all right, Lord, so I'm going to uh, make equal amount of prayer to the rest of the activities in my life. So I'm going to pray eight hours and I'm going to work eight hours. Well, then you've got to sleep somewhere in there. And so how do you figure, you know what I'm saying? So when have you prayed enough? So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at this uh, primary of spiritual discipline. It is the reality that we are a people who should pray, but often we don't. Sometimes it's because we think we don't know how to pray. And so we're going to take a look at what Jesus told to his disciples that this is how you should pray. So this, this whole idea is teach us to pray. The disciples were saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. How do we do this thing? Because we've watched you, Jesus, so what do you do? to pray. Um, and so it can be frustrating when we look at our prayer life. It can be confusing when it comes to how do we pray and why do we pray and answers and non-answers and all of that. So hopefully over the next uh, indetermined amount of weeks as we try to work through this, um, hopefully we will find answers to this. Not everything will be answered, right? Because we don't have all of this figured out. And again, there's no formula for prayer. But the question is, so what does the Bible say about prayer? This morning, what I want to do is I want to explore these foundations a bit to give us a start in this. We're not going to go to the Lord's Prayer just yet. We're going to begin hitting that a little bit of it next week. Uh, kind of the prelude will be, uh, be next week. Um, so this morning, really, my desire is that there would be some level of inspiration in your life at the end of this to go, you know, I need to double-check my own prayer life. Regardless of where you are, if you've been a Christian for a hundred years, right, or you are brand new to this thing, you walked in for the very first day uh, here this morning, and you are here, and you don't really know what's going on, uh, I, what I'm praying is that God will open up the door in your own life to be able to say, yes, I recognize my desperate need for prayer, and that we do have a God who hears us and understands us. Then we're weak. So the Bible and prayer. So it's interesting to me to, uh, uh, to, try, to try to figure out when the first prayer happened uh, in the Bible. And it's a uh, little bit difficult to figure out exactly like the words that somebody would have prayed, uh, the very, very first one. Those might be easy to find. But when did this heart of prayer uh, begin to kind of manifest itself in the Bible? And I think we've got to go back to the beginning, but it might not be exactly where you think it is. So, so there was you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, and things went bad <laughs> because of the choices of Adam and Eve. And, 
And so there was a breaking of relationship at that point. But one could argue that there was a continual prayer between Adam and Eve in the garden because they walked with God, they talked with him. There was a communication that was going on. And after the fall, after what happened in the garden, uh, it did seem to be a rift uh, between God and his creation. But in Genesis chapter 4, we have this really interesting um, uh, kind of passage that I think shows to us this heart of prayer taking root in the human heart. And it says this, uh, let's see, Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. It says that Adam had marital relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son. Real quick, <laughs> this context is right after uh, Abel had killed, I'm sorry, Cain had killed, uh, uh, had just killed Abel. And so there was brokenness, there was hurt, uh, there was pain, there was suffering going on. It wasn't just isolated to Cain, but this deeply, obviously impacted uh, Adam and Eve. And it was, you know, a son that was born to them has now died at the hand of his brother. And I mean, just a terrible, terrible situation. And so they give birth to a son. She named him Seth, saying, God has given me another child in place of Abel because Cain killed him. And a son was also born to Seth. And so this is now the second generation, um, whom he named Enosh. At that time, people began to worship, or some other versions say people began to call on the name of the Lord. And this is the first time in the Bible that you see this kind of uh, interaction, this kind of purposeful communication with God from humanity. This is the first time that it's mentioned. That there's any sort of reaching out to God, any sort of, um, we are going to get together, maybe it's an individual or as a group of people, and we're going to put something in place that leads us to communicate with God. This is that moment in time. Uh, their son's name, whose name is, is Seth's son's name, who is Enosh, the name Enosh means man. That's what it means. And it might very well be in the context of, uh, of Genesis that people begin calling out on the name of the Lord because they recognize just how frail and broken they are as humanity, <laughs> right? And they realize we cannot do this any longer. This is, you know, maybe about 150 years or so after, uh, Adam, uh, after Adam and Eve have, um, have Seth and you know, so it's just this, this length of time, and they realize as humanity, we are walking down the wrong road, and we are frail and broken, and we need God. So we're going to call out uh, to God. So prayer starts in these first chapters of the Bible, and this thread is anchored in the need of humanity. It continues throughout the Word, right? So, so it starts with the need of humanity calling out to God. And then it, we see this happen all the way through the entire Bible. So there's this great moment. Uh, we're going to jump way forward to the book of Exodus. A lot happens between Enosh and Moses. Okay, there's a lot that goes on there. Um, but Moses is this imperfect leader. He's this leader that's got all sorts of problems. He's, you know, he's killed somebody. Uh, so there's a, there's a bit of rage in his life, a bit of anger that shows up from time to time. He's very... Uh, he lacks a ton of confidence in the way that he communicates. It's just, uh, he is kind of a mess as a leader, and yet God has anointed him to be the leader of the nation of Israel. 
And so they are making their way out of Egypt. They escape through a series, it's, you know, in the book of Exodus, through a series of miraculous interventions by God. They eventually leave uh, the nation of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea, and God has done a miraculous victor- victory for them. And uh, this prayer kind of just explodes from Moses on the other side of the Red Sea as he gives praise to God. And this is what it says in Exodus uh, 15 too. And think about this in the context of that calling out to God based on our, the need that we have as, as humanity. He says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And this is him, you know, over the, over the Red Sea, and the nation of Israel is now safe away from and out of Egypt in that incredible moment of praise lifted up in prayer from the lips of Moses. So this exaltation of God, God is their deliverer, God is the one who has made everything right, and it is appropriate to give praise in those moments. How many of you, God has made things right in your life, <laughs> right? And so praise is something that we do, which is why on Sunday mornings, when we gather together, this becomes our moment to not just sit back and observe what's going on around us during those, these moments of praise and worship, but we are to be a people who participate in praise and worship. When those moments come, when you can, we can just sense within us that praise uh, rising up, don't be afraid to use your own voice and your own words, not the words that are up on the screen, right? But this is your moment to exalt, and, exalt God in praise, right? To not just sit back and, and, uh, and stand there at times. So all of this is part of prayer. So out of our deep need arises a cry to heaven to restore relationship. That's kind of that first foundation of prayer. And out of our victory can come a shout of praise lifted to heaven in gratitude. This becomes that other side. We have a huge need. God answers that need, and so we return it in prayer uh, to him. All right, so throughout the Old Testament, we find prayer as a natural part of the people of God. Right, so you look in the, in the Old Testament, and I've, I've got a book um, uh, in my office and it's all the prayers of the Bible. And I think there's like 660-something prayers or 640-something uh, prayers that are recorded in the Bible. That's a lot of praying going on uh, in the Bible. And most of those are actually in the Old Testament, the vast majority of those in the Old Testament. So these prayers are offered formally in the midst of temple worship. They're offered in privacy in the intimate moments between, uh, uh, between an individual and between their God. Uh, it is uh, in moments of battle. That's a lot of praying taking place in moments. We sang about that earlier, right? This is how this, this battle that we fight is on our knees, and so the people of Israel recognize that. Um, in times of famine, in times when things were not going right, people were praying. Uh, when nothing else is working, in desperation, this cry is shouted to a distant God. You ever feel like God is distant and far away? That's, how the, that's what the Bible deals with, right, is this cry out to God who at times feels distant from us. Prayers of mothers and fathers, of kings and prophets. Prayer is part of the experience of being human. What more? Because really there's something within us, uh, and actually Ecclesiastes points it out, and, and the, the author of Ecclesiastes says, that, uh, that God has put within the heart of man eternity. There's something within all of those made in his image that just calls out to him. That's why in moments of crisis, even people that don't know God, they call out to him because they know there is something more than this life. 
So things take an interesting turn, though, in the New Testament. And so since we live in this New Testament time, this, this time um, of the new covenant of Jesus, um, what does the Bible say about prayer in the New Testament? And it's very, very different, perhaps, than what we see in the Old Testament. You see this crying out to God, but we don't have the veil pulled back to know what's happening in heaven at the time of when these prayers are offered up. Um, prayer begins to morph in some subtle and not-so-subtle ways with the incarnation of Christ. But more than that, his incarnation leads to, as we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks here, obviously, uh, leads to the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and then the resurrection of Christ. And that resurrection of Christ for us becomes something dramatic, something that, is, uh, that we've got to take note of when it comes to the way that we pray. Because now we pray with the knowledge that something is happening in heaven every time we turn to God. So as Jesus does, he changes everything. Right? Jesus absolutely changes everything. So there's something about Jesus that brings, brings prayer to a new intimacy. This new openness to experience something that was longed for millennia in the past because Jesus has done what he has done we have a new focus upon that relationship with God. So this human heart that's been broken, we now, because of Jesus, have a way to make that uh, broken heart come back to life. So think about the stories in the New Testament when it comes to the Gospels in particular. Uh, you have mothers and fathers. You have uh, religious leaders. You have tax collectors. You've got other people that are coming to blind people and uh, people that can't walk and people that are deaf, you know, whatever that is, those that have uh, epilepsy and, you know, what, you have those coming to Jesus and what are they doing? They are, in essence, praying, right? Every one of these interactions that they have with Jesus is, in essence, a prayer, saying, Jesus, this is, this is what I have in my life and I need this in my life. I want to give to you what is broken about my life. Jesus, please do something about this. Over and over and over again, in those intimate moments, Jesus lays hands on you. Jesus just speaks over a situation and responds to the needs of the people that are coming to him. All of those like prayer. And I believe it's a wonderful picture for us to think about when we are coming to Jesus, it's just like the Gospels in the New Testament time. Now, obviously, there's a lot more to Jesus than just saying, here's what I need, here's what I need. He's not like Santa, right, in heaven, just, you know, with a list that we give to him. Lord, here's what I need, another million dollars, you know, or whatever it is. There's so much more to prayer, but this is all part of prayer. And I think the picture of Jesus being open, being receptive, this is the picture we should have every time we bow our knees in prayer. Every time we bow our head in prayer, every time we're laying in our bed trying to pray and stay awake, which, by the way, is a very, very bad posture to have when you're trying to pray. Right? And you're saying, oh, God, help me to just be passionate about prayer while I lay here with my pillow. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Okay. So prayer is at heart communication with God. This is the bottom line of what prayer is. And uh, it's no, no, uh, no simpler than that and no more complicated than that. And obviously, there's a lot to unpack with, uh, unpack with this, this communication with God. Uh, but this really is the bottom line of this. 
And so we see this turn in prayer, especially when Jesus has ascended into heaven. So the disciples are there in, in, uh, in uh, the book of Acts, and they're looking at Jesus going into heaven in Acts chapter 1, and they're astounded and amazed, and uh, the, uh, the, the angels that are there say, hey, go, go do what Jesus told you to do, go wait uh, for the promise of the Father, and 10 days later after Jesus ascends, this incredible power from God from on high is responding, you know, that, that, uh, that, that in response to the waiting and tarrying for the people of God in that moment. Now, when we get there, that's actually May 23rd of this year is uh, the day of Pentecost. We're actually going to take a little bit of time to unpack the day, the day of Pentecost this year and to talk a lot about what the Spirit is, how the Spirit moves, and what happened on, uh, on that day. So be looking forward to that, which is also baptism. We haven't talked about that year, uh, yet, uh, but we do have water baptisms coming up. So you want to get baptized, go to the website, and uh, you'll find information about that. Um, and so when Jesus ascended to heaven... Uh, this amazing thing begins to happen. Because now Jesus is right there with the Father. Right? Jesus is now there. So we have the Spirit of Christ living within us. Jesus is not physically with us because Jesus, it re is revealed, is in heaven doing something very specific for us. But before I get to that specific thing, let me read to you some scriptures that hopefully will begin uh, to get into your heart to understand what we can expect as followers of Christ. Now, with the next coming weeks, like I said, we're going to unpack some of, some of these because listen to these statements that are made in these, and these are fantastic. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? So we have that he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. How do we respond or how do we uh, wrestle with that facing the reality at times that some of our requests aren't answered? Right, so how do we wrestle with that? But... We have this promise, right? Another one, Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. How many of you know this? I mean, this verse is one of those that, man, I hold on to, right? Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And because we do, he hears us in his responses. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. How many of you need the peace of God in your life right now, <laughs> right? So he says, let's bring our requests to him. That's prayer. John chapter 15, this is while Jesus was still, uh, still with the disciples. Um, he's, and he's, this is a, a prayer that he's given. You did not choose me, so Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you, talking to the disciples, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What an incredible promise that we ask in his name. Not because of anything we've done, not because we're so cool, right? Not because we got it all together. In his name. Mark chapter 11, another one while Jesus was, was with the disciples. Therefore I tell you, 
Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. These are promises that we have. How do we know that God hears us? Right, because we we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We follow after him. This final one here is the one that honestly gets me all the time. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. It says, Christ is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised, as Paul is writing this. He brings that back, right? He didn't just die, but he was raised to life. Where has Jesus been since he was raised to life? It says that he is at the right hand of God, or right hand of the Father. And he is also interceding for us. So what does that mean? What does interceding for us mean? It means he's calling out to Father God on our behalf. He's saying, Father, do you see Dave? You see Dave? He's kneeling down right now and praying. Do you see what's happening? He's praying for healing. He's praying for a touch on his life. Father, answer him. Father, let your spirit do something powerful in his life. Father, you see the need that Cassandra has. Father, you see what she's praying. You know, God, the burdens that she's carrying. And so, Father, let's together work and do something. She's partnering with us. Let's do something together. I believe that's what's happening in heaven every time. Because Jesus is not in the grave. He's not on the cross. He is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And every time we pray... He is there listening and responding to us as we pray. Now, does that mean we get everything we want all of the time? I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet and close in prayer. Now, today I wanted to take you right up to 1030 with this. Um, but over the next several weeks, as we dig a little bit deeper into this, and next week we're going to find out the motivation of prayer. Uh, that's what we're going to do in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, right before we get to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus put some precautions on how we pray. And so we're going to get to that, this motivation of the heart when we pray. Because I think we're going to start to see ourselves echoed in what Jesus is calling out uh, pretty quickly when it comes to this discipline of prayer. So we're leading up, and, and we'll have time uh, in coming weeks to spend a, little, a few moments at the end of the service praying, maybe for one another, maybe for ourselves, maybe at the altars, right? Just this moment for us to get alone to begin this practice of prayer. And so, Father, I thank you this morning that, uh, God, you are challenging us. And God, while we um, have wonder at times as to why prayers are not always answered the way that we think they should be answered, but Lord, your word says that there's something about your will There's something, God, about our belief. Lord, there's something about the way that you respond when our hearts are fully open to you. And God, we wait with expectancy for you to respond. Lord, I thank you that over and over and over again in your word, it shows that you hear us and that you respond. Every head bowed, every head every eye closed for just a moment. You'd say, Pastor, uh, I'm ready to commit 
to prayer in my life in a way that perhaps um, I haven't in the last number of months. And this is something that I need in my life. And you're saying, I'm just ready to commit to prayer in my life. If that's you, can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you. Thank you. Your Father God, you see every one of these hands. And God, as I look across this congregation um, at the beautiful thing that you are doing, Lord, I ask that we would be a people of prayer, not just a people that talk about it, not a people that wish for it, but God, we would be a people of prayer. And so God, begin to shape us in our communication with you, which is really at the heart of what prayer is, that God, we would take moments, we would take time to be able to prioritize our time with you, to be able to communicate with you, and God, you would communicate back So God, we commit to you our ways. I pray for boldness, God, in the way that we pray. I pray for boldness, God, in the way we interact with this world around us because, God, we see this crumbling in our culture happening and, Lord, we need to see you respond to the desperation and the prayers that I know, God, are going out from this congregation and beyond, Lord, into the Salt Lake Valley. So, God, we ask that you would move and respond and hear our hearts cry. Lord, we commit to you our lives. Father, I thank you that uh, as a congregation, you've called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you. And so, God, as that takes place, help us to be more like you. God, the only way that's going to happen is for us to spend time with you to know who you are better. And so, God, help our prayer life to become extravagant before you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We will see you next week, if not on Wednesday. So God bless you.